Why don't you look in your book, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about something that I think might help you and encourage you uh, in your inviting people to church and your witnessing in these few days that we're together just after tonight, just five more days. Uh, good Lord willing that I'll be here in this church and preaching this particular time. But I, I want you to know that God can do great things with you. He can do great things with you. He wants to use you. Whether you're a young person, middle-aged, or uh, like me on the sunny side of life, uh, we're all heading. I, you know, the, all the songs tonight were about heaven. I sat there and said, Lord, why didn't you have me preach something about heaven? I really would have loved to have done that. And I got a pretty good sermon on heaven, but I don't know if I'll get to it this week, and maybe that's why he didn't tell me to preach it. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Now, I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes on this topic. And I think it's, you know, just to put it in our day and age's vernacular, that little gal said, I know somebody. I know somebody that can help Naaman. And I want to say this to you tonight. You know somebody that can help anybody and everybody with their most basic need of life, and that is being born again and getting right with God and being what we ought to be for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. I pray that you bless in this service. Uh, we, we're rejoicing uh, just as much as the folk here in this place for what you did for us this morning. It was wonderful to observe, great to be a part of. It was, it was exciting and exhilarating. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us tonight, help me tonight to convey uh, these simple thoughts, just two or three thoughts to our listeners tonight. And may God, may you do something in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I have a preacher friend, matter of fact, he just retired within the last year or so, and he told this story as testimony one day, bless my heart. When he was a young boy, he lived in a terrible home, terrible home life, and his father was very abusive to his mother, uh, verbally and physically. And along the road of life, she got born again. And when his mother got saved, things got worse at the house. Just as a little parenthesis, uh, she had come from a very wealthy family. And when her father found out that she had been converted, that she'd been born again, that he cut her out of the will. To the point that when he passed away, he left all of his monies, all of his estate to her brothers and sister and sent her just one dollar as a rebuke 
for becoming a Christian. Well, one day he said the beatings and the berating was worse than it had ever been. And he said, I heard the door slam. I did not realize that at the time that that was the last time I would ever see my father. He said, my father left my mother, left me that day, the worst day of my life. He said, I was in my bedroom and had the door open a little crack. He said, I could hear music coming from the kitchen. He said, I came out of my room and walked down the little hallway and looked into the kitchen. There was my mother with her hands up to the elbows in soap suds. And she was singing, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. And he said, as a little lad, the thought went through my mind. If what my mother has will work on the worst day of our lives, it'll work on every day of our lives. And it will. I know somebody, and you know him too, who can help anybody and everybody with the problems and difficulties of life. It is important tonight that we take this message to a lost and dying world. I want you to consider just three quick things tonight. He, this one we know, this great somebody who can help anybody and everybody can help us with the problems of life. We all have problems. We have domestic problems. Scores of people have faced those in their life. There is disease and sickness that is rampant across our land. There's the darkness of drugs and opioids and all of that that's going on in our nation. We came home. I preached a funeral of a great man in February in Jamestown, Tennessee, a medical doctor. Ninety, he was three days short of being 91 years old. He had delivered over 5,000 babies in Fentress County in his long uh, tenure as a physician in that county. And we came home, pulled into the driveway, and I looked in my neighbor's driveway, and my wife said, uh, somebody's over there. I said, no, I think she got a new car. A widow lady lives next to us. I said, she'd been talking about it. I think she did. And uh, we went into the house and uh, two or three more cars pulled in the driveway. My wife got concerned. I'm unpacking and doing whatever I was doing. She called over there. She came on the, into the room where I was. She said, honey, you need to go over there. And I walked into that home, knocked on the door and walked into that home. A young mother about 45 fell in my arms and wept. These are lost people. The grandmother, who was our next-door neighbor, uh, 10 years older than me, she fell in my arms and wept and cried. Their 24-year-old daughter and granddaughter had just been found in the morgue, 
and had been there for five or six days as an unclaimed dope killed young lady. I've known that little girl all of her life. Yes, Known her mother when she was just a teenager. We lived there 30 years. People have problems. Yes. But we have somebody. We know somebody who can help anybody and everybody with the heartaches of life. The disasters, the ailments, the heartaches, the defeats, the spiritual shortcomings that all of us endure occasionally in our lives, the deaths that come. I was in a church uh, one February, maybe three, maybe four years ago at the most, and preached for a young man there. And uh, he called me the next Sunday morning. His brother pastored a church in North Carolina. He said, you remember my brother? I said, sure, I know your brother. He said, this morning his wife went into the bedroom to wake up their five children. She woke four of them. And the 11-year-old boy had died in the night. 11-year-old boy. I know a God. I know somebody that can help anybody and everybody with the problems and difficulties of life. Sometimes we get discouraged along the road of life. People leave the church. Sometimes we experience uh, backsliding and individuals and people we care about. You know this as well as I do. Life begins as a problem, but it can end up in faith Because somewhere along the line has been interposed the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin. There's an evangelist in our country, rather famous man. I heard him tell this story when he was five years old. He had a little brother. Little brother was three months old. And the family said, my mom and dad were lost. We were not Christians at the time. He said we went to a little local church in the neighborhood where we lived occasionally, not often. But he said my father got transferred, got a new job, left the southern state that they had resided in and went to Texas, uh, perhaps in the oil business. I don't know that, but I assume that from what he said. He said, I remember we got in the old car headed towards Texas for my dad's new job. He said, really, I didn't know it then, but mom and dad, really, we're just running from God. He said, but my parents were talented to sing. And so I remember in the car was a little boy. He said, my parents would sing a little song that goes like this. I know the Lord will make a way for me. If I shun to do the wrong and live a holy life, I know the Lord will make a way for me. He said we were there in Texas, and 30 days later, my mother and my little brother had contracted uh, pneumonia. My mother was in the hospital, and my little brother died, little four-month-old boy. He said, I remember standing at the open grave, the maw of that open grave, standing next to my father, holding his hand, And they lowered my little brother's body down in that grave. He said, I heard my dad sob. And he said this. He said, son, 
I promise you, I'll see you in heaven someday. He said, soon as mother got out of the hospital, we loaded up the car. We went back home to the state that we came from. We got back in our little house and we'd only been out of 30 days. He said, my mom and dad went to church that next Sunday morning and down the aisle they went and both of them got born again. He said, our whole world changed. Hey, I know somebody who can help anybody and everybody. Hey, how many tonight in this building say, Brother Green, one day I met that great somebody and my world changed. Hallelujah. We've sung about heaven. I tell you, when you meet him, heaven becomes a reality. It's not a figment of some man's imagination. It's not pie in the sky. We're not going to sit around on clouds and play harps. We're going to rejoice around the throne of God and worship him forever. I know somebody can help anybody. You know, this great story of Naaman, I've preached a lot of sermons from uh, this text as probably your pastor have or other preachers have and you've heard a lot of them. But one of the significant things that pops off the page when you come down through there and he doesn't want to do what the prophet says to do and he's a little offended that the prophet doesn't come out and tell him himself. He just sends a servant, uh, go jump in the Jordan. He's not overly interested in that. And he says down there in verse 11, Naaman was wroth. He got upset. You ever get upset at the preacher? Have you ever gotten upset when a preacher stepped on your toes? You know what he said? He's wroth and went away. And here's the problem with a lot of folk. And said, behold, I thought. You know, we need to stop thinking and start trusting God. Because he's the great somebody that can help everybody and anybody. See, Christianity is not the sacrifice we make. It's the sacrifice we trust. It's not the victory we win, but the victory that we inherit in Christ Jesus. We don't have all the answers, but we can trust the one who is the answer. We don't gain the victory. We are united with the victor. Our faith is enveloped in the fact that we know him tonight. I want you to contemplate this. He is a help in the purpose of life. In the purposes of life, this little maid was used of God. Not only was the little maid used, but this is my son Jordan's sermon. This little part, I, only, I heard him preach two or three years ago when he was home on a furlough for just a, three or four months. And he preached this sermon in a little church uh, that supports him right near us. And I went, I think I took him to that church that night. And he preached this little thought. When he got done, I said, son, that's one of the best things I ever heard. I'd have liked it a whole lot better if God had given it to me and not you. But he preached verse number 13, and his servants. That's what he just preached, and his servants. Nobody knows their names. They're insignificant men. They're kind of like you and me, just regular folk. Hey, hey, we are God's servants. We're, not, we're no big deal. There's nothing much to us. And the servant said, the nameless servant said, hey, 
if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. And finally old Naaman came to his senses and went and did what the man of God said to do. Help in the purpose of life. We can encourage people to do what God says to do. I was preaching in Taiwan uh, three Februarys ago. Over there, I don't know, 10, 12 days. uh, Preached in, I think, three different churches, maybe four. And also did a youth camp. Now, the youth in Taiwan, and you know, those Taiwanese people must be pretty smart. None of them get married till they're 30. They get their jobs, they get their careers all set, they get a little money, and then they, then they marry. And so this youth camp was all people 25 to 35 years of age. It was the oldest youth camp I've ever preached in my life. And when it was time to leave the youth camp, another missionary took me to his home. I had a day to wait till I could catch the plane in Taipei to get home. And so... I was just sitting around talking. I said, well, how did you come to the Lord? He said, well, my father pastors in Florida. I said, well, how did your mom and dad get saved? He kind of smiled and he told me this wonderful story. He said, back in the 70s, late 60s and early 70s, his dad's about my age. He said, my father uh, was a hippie. Remember them? Them long-haired hippies? Dirty, stinking, rotten hippies? Remember them? He said, my dad was a hippie. He had two buddies that were hippies. And uh, they got a job. They lived in, in New York. And they got jobs in Tampa, Florida. So they bought 10-speed bikes, saved up a little money, and rode their bikes all the way to Florida, where they ran out of money in Jacksonville and got them a little cheap trailer, and they were staying there. And, of course, they lost those jobs in Tampa. They were supposed to be there at a certain time. And they're living in a little trailer and they all got little menial jobs. You know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, if you made a buck and a half an hour, you were making good money. If you don't make a buck and a half a minute now, you're in serious trouble. But back then, buck and a half, buck and a quarter, I I worked for for a dollar an hour when I was in high school in 1966 and 67 and glad to get it. My first job, I made $15 a week. I was told a brother over here, some one of these young people gave $15. Preacher made some comment about it. I said, man, that was a week's pay when I was their age or a little bit older even. But he, they got those little jobs. And he said, one day, uh, one day, uh, uh, my father and his buddy, they came out of a little convenience store and uh, a man handed them a gospel track. He said it was a little uh, pink and gray track, which was probably... God's simple plan of salvation, one of the most famous tracts in our generation. And he said they took it home, they read it, thought a little bit about it, just a couple hippies. And a day or so later on a Saturday, man knocked on their door and from a different church, different place, and said we're just knocking doors here in the trailer park uh, looking for kids that might like to ride the bus. And these guys said, well, we're not kids, but yeah, maybe we'll come. He said, so my dad and his friend, they went to church that next Sunday morning, heard the gospel my dad did for the very first time in his life. Down the aisle he came, got born again. He said, that Sunday, singing in the choir was a teenage girl. 
who eventually became my mother. They fell in love and got married. And today, that man, that hippie that got saved in the early 70s is now the pastor of the church that he got born again in. I know somebody. And you know him too. That can help anybody and everybody. You say, I'm tired of passing out tracts. I'm tired of inviting people because nobody comes. Hey, every once in a while, somebody will come. I remember knocking on a door in Lansing, Michigan one time, long time ago, probably pushing 40 years ago now. I knocked on a door, a lady and there a couple, three kids in there. And uh, we were just running buses back in those days. And... Uh, I said, we'd like to, yeah, come, come. We, I'll have some kids tomorrow. I didn't go on the bus route that day. But they went by there, stopped in front of that house. 18 people came out of that house. Kids and adults. And they said, well, some of, there's some more folks that would like to go, but they're just not quite ready. The bus guy said, well, Maybe they can drive. There's a car sitting there. Another 15 people came out of that. 30, 33 people out of one house. More than half of those people got saved that Sunday and were faithful members of my dad's church for a decade or more. I know somebody. And you know him too. That can help anybody and everybody who would come to him in faith, believing. I like that old story in Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius. Cornelius, he was a Roman centurion. He had a lot of good stuff going for him. He was devout. He feared God. He gave much. He was generous. Wish we'd have had him here this morning. He prayed all way. And the Bible said he even saw visions. But none of that is good enough to get anybody to heaven. You know the story about Peter saw the sheet and the sacrifice and all of that business. And Cornelius was told this in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 14. He said he was told that someone was going to come to him who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. It's words. It's words that come from your lips and words that come from my lips. And words that come from that book that's sitting in our laps. And words that come from those gospel tracts that we pass out. God uses those words. Now God could have put the gospel in a lot of different venues. He could have put it in the songs of the birds. He could have put it in the dew that falls on the ground. He could have put it in the thunder that crashes across the skies every once in a while. You know what God did? I tell you, I got so blessed reading this one day. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8, it says this. They heard the voice of the Lord walking. The voice? The voice walking? In Eden's bowery veil, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking. And I believe this tonight that the voice of God walks into the dark caverns of our minds. I believe the voice of God strives upon the storms and calms our fears. 
I believe the voice of God follows the backslider down the road of wreck and ruin. The voice of God rejoices, rejoices in the heart of mankind. The voice of God rustles through the leaves that Adam's fallen sons still try to cover themselves with. I'm going to tell you something tonight, sinner. I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you're away from God, you could take the leaves on all of the trees in the state of Georgia and that would not keep you from God dealing with your heart. The voice of God echoes down the valleys and ricochets off the mountain's majesties. The voice of God rises to the heights of heaven and descends to the lowest hell. The voice of God runs the sinner down and subdues him with love and grace and mercy. The voice of God treads the fields of grace and says in our day, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'm thankful tonight that the gospel is not locked up in some church liturgy. It's not behind denominational doors. It's not confined to race or color. The gospel, the gospel reaches across the great chasm of culture and deals with the heart of men. You know somebody same one who can help anyone and everyone who would come to him in faith believing. I know someone who can help in the preservation of life. Naaman, he eventually obeyed the man of God who knew the God of all mankind. Jesus Christ rose from the soul of eternity, the son who dwelt in the bosom of the father the very fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Savior to whom all power in heaven and earth is given, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and if you please, he's everything in between also, the one and only King of glory. We know him tonight. We know him. And there are people I know, I know we're close to the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I know that. But there are people In your neighborhood, there are people that you'll run into this week. There are folk that God will give you the opportunity to communicate with that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. I think some gentleman gave a testimony tonight, maybe one of the singers, about how wonderful it is to go to a church where you can hear the truth, the unadulterated truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a friend in our area who has an unusual ministry. It's not his only ministry, but it's part of what he does for the Lord. He, uh, he helps young ladies, young women, young mothers who are uh, in the balance between either uh, keeping the child or aborting the baby. Some of them are married girls. Others are unmarried who just for whatever reason, want to take the life of their child. I don't know how you feel about it, and I don't mean to be controversial, but I think it's murder. I think it's a horrible thing. I I would have to commend, I was just in Iowa last week preaching. I would have to commend the governor of Iowa. He just signed a bill 
that uh, I don't, you, you can't abort a baby after like three or four weeks. Thank God for that. I believe you shouldn't abort a baby after three or four seconds. He had a young expectant mother who felt something was wrong with her child. She was a married woman. She went to see the doctor and the doctor examined her and he gave her the heart-wrenching news. Yes, uh, your, your baby has uh, got a problem. I, uh, my suggestion, my counsel would be to abort, abort the baby, abort the fetus. She was crushed. Holding back tears, she said, I, I have to think about that. I need to pray about this. And she left the doctor's office and sadly entered her automobile and put her seatbelt on and started up the car and Christian radio was on in her town where she lived and the lyrics of a song came over the airwaves. I don't know the tune, but I have the words. The words go like this. I have never seen the thousands fed or the blind made to see. I've never watched him raise the dead, but I know when he lifted me. It's a wonder right before my eyes, close enough to see. In my heart is where this wonder lies. There's a miracle in me. In my heart is where the wonder lies. There's a miracle in me. It's in me. She dried her eyes. She turned her car off. She marched back into that doctor's office. And she proclaimed for all to hear. I'm going to, be, I'm going to carry this baby full term. He'll be born. And we'll see what God can do. For I believe there's a miracle in me. And out she went. And she had the baby. Fast forward 20 years. That little baby boy grew up to be a United States Navy SEAL. That's a pretty good physical specimen in my way of thinking. I know somebody who is somebody who can help anybody and everybody with the problems and difficulties of life. Your pastor's mentioned that family book. My kid brother uh, died uh, five years ago, April the 11th, 2013. My dad had a Bible conference there. Me and another guy preached it on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of that particular, of the week before my brother passed. My brother had been my dad's associate and song leader and uh, do-everything kind of guy. He's a handyman for 40 years. And uh, he couldn't come to church, so sick. And so I went to see him on Wednesday at the house, went to see him Thursday at the house, went to see him Friday at the house. And uh, sometime in the night, Friday night, he got sick and they rushed him to the hospital. And so I had to go preach a meeting in Kalamazoo, Michigan, starting on Sunday. And so I went by the hospital and saw him, talked with him, prayed with him. And I preached my meeting Sunday through Wednesday in the church there in Kalamazoo and went back to my hotel getting things ready so I could get up early and take off and head for home. I was driving. And the Lord just spoke to my heart, and I'm not spooky, but he just said, you know, you ought to go see your, your kid brother. I said, Lord, that'll cost me two to four hours to out of the, out of the way. I've got to go back north and go south. And 
He said, I, I think it'd be a good idea to me. Now, I'm not saying I've never argued with the Lord, but I learned a long time ago it's not very productive. So I went to bed almost immediately, got up early in the morning, packed my car, drove to Lansing. And my brother, I was going to head to the hospital, and I called and said, no, he's home. Hospice care is coming. And I walked into the house, and they'd set up a, one of those hospital beds there in the living room slash dining room area of his home. And I walked up to my brothers laying there. Some of the family had come, even from California, I believe. And I walked up and I knelt beside my brother's bed. Now you might have a, you might be, we're, I'm not saying we were right, but I, I, I never kissed my brother in my life. I kicked him. I beat him up. That's what big brothers are supposed to do. How many big brothers are there here tonight? If you haven't done that, you better get after it, boys. I buried him out behind the church one time up to his neck, made him eat worms. I'd done all that kind of stuff. Think I'm kidding, don't you? You know my little brother Johnny that was here? We buried him out back too and made him eat worms. But I think he liked it. But I went up to my brother that day and knelt beside him. And I kissed him on the cheek. And I said, Steve, I love you. He could hardly talk. <sighs> yeah. I love you too. The hospice nurse came about that time to shoot him up with some morphine. I knew no sense me staying talking to him when he's knocked out. Got in my car, drove six hours plus home. Got to my house. Ten minutes after I was in my home, I got the telephone call. Steve's dead. Steve died. Steve's went to heaven. I don't know when Steve got saved. I know he was, he was a young man, probably somewhere from 8 to 12 years of age. He got saved somewhere in through there. But I'm thankful tonight that he met somebody along the road of life that gives you that wonderful place that everybody, just about everybody, the choir sang about it, the specials were about it. That place called heaven. He's in heaven tonight because he met somebody who is capable of helping anybody and everybody with the most important thing in life. Where are you going to spend eternity? If you're not saved tonight, you ought to get saved. If you're a Christian tonight and you've witnessed to people and you've talked to people till you're blue in the face and you get people, I don't want to hear about it, I don't want to talk, hey, fooey on that. We know somebody. Who can help the hardest nut you could ever crack? There's people in this room that I guarantee you before you got saved, it went through somebody's mind that really cared about you. He'll never get saved. She'll never get saved. And God surprised everybody. Wouldn't it be great this week if God would surprise us with some wonderful, wonderful conversions and some people brought back to church and people get on fire once again and get desirous of telling everybody and anybody that we know somebody that can help them 
in the circumstances of life. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would be about the business of telling people about your son, Jesus Christ, and what he can do, how he can put homes back together, how he can forgive, how, can he, how he can redeem, how he can make bad men into good men, bad ladies into good ladies, change people. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to determine to the best of our ability in the next five days at least to talk to some people, invite some people to Jesus Christ, try to get some folk to church, try to get some people to the revival. And God, if it would so please thee, at least from my perspective, and I think it's the heartbeat of many in this room, that you would send us revival for Jesus' sake and for our sake. Amen. Let's stand our feet. If you need to come pray about something, you ought to do it.